said, this event is to celebrate the publication of the most recent issue of Levant, which focused on the contribution to digital mapping, heritage management and research made by the Endangered Archaeology in the Middle East and North Africa, or IAMINA projects. My name is Letty Tenhakel, and I will be presenting this on behalf of uh, myself, Pascal Floor, and Michael Fradley, um, who, together with whom I was a guest editor on the special issue. Before I continue, I think I also have to express uh, thanks to Caroline Middleton, who is the Levant editor, and also to Alistair Mayer, the production editor of Taylor and Francis, uh, who've also done great work on getting this issue out and with, without whom it would not have materialized. So I will keep it very brief. Um, I will just say a few words on what is the Amina project uh, for those of you who might not be familiar with it, although I think many people in the audience are. And a few words on why this special issue before then handing over to two sets of speakers from the Levant to provide their perspectives on the present and future of digital archaeology in the Levant. And they will include Shatha Mubaydin representing Jordan on behalf of herself, Dana Salamin and Rudaina Al-Mumani, and also Mohammed Al-Jaradat uh, representing the state of Palestine. We'd hoped also to welcome some speakers from Lebanon, but unfortunately they can't be here today. So, um, sorry, next slide. What is the Amina project? For those of you who don't know, it uh, was set up in 2015 as a collaboration between the UK universities of Oxford, Leicester and Durham. Since 2019, there is also a sister project um, jointly run by the universities of Southampton and Ulster, which is the Maritime Endangered Archaeology Project, and which looks specifically at coastal heritage and archaeology. The Iomina project as well as the Maria project are both funded by the Arcadia Fund, which is a charitable fund of Lisbeth Rousing and Peter Baldwin. And since 2016, the Iomina project has also received additional funding from the Cultural Protection Fund of the British Council, specifically with an eye to knowledge sharing and training. The project was very much set up in response to conflicts and other threats to heritage in the Middle East and North Africa. And what we do really, uh, we also always describe it as a voyage of discovery, research and digital documentation and condition assessment of archaeological and heritage sites in the entire MENA region, so 20 countries, all the way from Iran to Mauritania. So the scope is huge. But today we zoom in specifically on the Levant. So what do we do exactly? We document archaeological sites, mainly using remote sensing, but also on the ground methodology. So satellite imagery and aerial photography are, are a central part, but combined with ground surveys and uh, other published material. We assess threats and disturbances to these sites, and we conduct archaeological research. Uh, these three things were really the main focus in 2015, when it was still very much a UK undertaking and was all focusing on this central database that we uh, created and have set up. But since 2016, with the help of the Cultural Protection Fund funding, the emphasis has shifted more as well to training, knowledge sharing and facilitating through training workshop and collaboration with local partners. 
and more recently also to the development of national implementation of the Amina Arches database uh, to uh, assist in the cultural heritage management in different countries. Now I mentioned uh, the Arches Amina database. This is essentially the uh, database software platform that uh, the Amina database is based on. Now, and also the, the database system in which, which was a central part of the training that the Amina project conducted. And today is particularly exciting because the speakers to which I will hand over shortly are ex-trainees of the Amina training programs who work in countries that as a result of the training are in the process of adopting their own versions of the Arches Amina database for natural heritage management purposes and who are therefore excellently placed to reflect more broadly on their country specific experiences and challenges of working with Amina and with digital mapping more general. So um, here you can see a snapshot from the central database, um, the central UK database as of last week. You can see that coverage of um, archaeological and heritage sites is growing, but by no means complete. But at some time between 2015 and now, there came a point where the data was plentiful enough to shift our focus from pure documentation to also include research. Uh, this initially uh, translated into a set of uh, conference papers, which Bob already mentioned, presented at the British Association for Near Eastern Archaeology, or BANIA, in 2018 uh, at Durham, um, and eventually resulted in the production of this special issue of Levant. Uh, some of the papers uh, were presented um, at the Bania 2018 conference. Some of them were heavily developed from presentations presented there. And there were also new contribu contributions, such as the work by Shatta Mubadin and others that we will hear about shortly. Now, most of them are available through this link, open access, um, but you can also just search for Levant Imina special issue and you'll find it as well. But just as the database and the Amina project is constantly growing and developing, we didn't really want for this event to look back at something we did in 2018, or even at the uh, issue, uh, at the, the special issue itself. But we liked to, you know, in the spirit of constant development and growth, to look forward and take this issue as a starting point. And therefore, uh, the speakers we invited were not just people who were involved in Banya, involved in the special issue, but also uh, people who um, are working within Imina, but not um, in included in these uh, now older initiatives. Uh, and that is why Mohamed Yaradat is here as well. Um, before I continue uh, and hand over to them, just a few words on the Imina Cultural Protection Fund training. Um, since 2016, more than 160 archaeological and heritage professionals in eight different countries were trained in the Imina methodology. Jordan, Palestine, both of whom we will hear more about shortly, but also Lebanon, Egypt, Yemen, Iraq, Libya and Tunisia. This resulted in almost 15,000 sites that were recorded by Imina trainees and also in um, a process of national implementation of the Imina Arches database, which is now underway in three countries in the Levant, Jordan, Palestine and Lebanon. Uh, 
So seven years after the start of the Amina project, the weight of Amina is really shifting towards the Amina region and the Levant plays a central role in here. And instead of continuing to talk myself, it is therefore very fitting to hand over to the main speakers of today. And I think, or we all feel very strongly that if the UK team will continue to play a useful role, it will be important to hear the perspective of people from the region on the future of digital mapping for heritage management and archeological research. So I will leave you with these three questions, which we have shared in advance of this meeting as well, to uh, create you know, some points of reflection that hopefully we can discuss more in detail later. And really what we, would, what we are really interested to know from a UK perspective as well is what are the most exciting opportunities that digital mapping uh, can uh, offer for heritage management and archaeological research in the Levant, but also what are the most pressing future challenges for this and how should we deal with digital data in terms of storage and making it accessible. I am Shadan Baydin, a senior research officer at uh, CBR El Amman Institute, and I'm speaking today on behalf of the Amman Heritage Houses team, including uh, me and uh, Dana Salamin, a geomatics engineer and the EMINA project coordinator in Jordan from the Department of Antiquities, as well as my colleague uh, Rudain Al Momani, our librarian at CBR El Amman Institute, and a PhD uh, candidate at the University of Jordan in history. So uh, as uh, Bob mentioned, uh, we will be focusing here on um, the use of the EMINA database to document the more heritage, the more modern heritage in the country, as uh, the database was designed to include archaeology. So we wanted to include also the modern heritage of the country. And to discuss how practical is it for documenting the recent heritage, uh, to explore the possibilities and give some recommendations based on our uh, short, uh, like let's say research project and uh, give them some recommendations and strategies for the future of uh, the development of the database. Uh, we have managed, thankfully by, by the support of the EMINA team, uh, Letty, Pascal and Michael and everyone else, and also by the Levant editors to publish a, a research paper in the Levant special issue to discuss how useful the EMINA database was uh, for us to document the post-1750 uh, tangible heritage in Jordan. And it's important to mention here that uh, the pre-1750 heritage is uh, managed and uh, conserved by the Department of Antiquities and falls under the Antiquities Law, while the post-1750 heritage falls uh, under the, uh, the law of the Ministry of Tourism and Antiquities in Jordan and is protected um, by, by them. It's supposed to be protected by uh, them with the support of the municipalities in Amman and uh, other cities. Uh, just to put you in the context of the project, this is a panoramic view of Amman from the uh, late 19th century uh, and uh, in comparison to another one from 2013. And you can see the fast and the quick development of the city. Um, the the sale Amman was very, uh, was maybe the only element that made people come and live there with uh, for agriculture and for other reasons. And you can see uh, easily the archaeological remains, but now um, everything is changing. 
Also to, to give you a better idea, we have uh, looked at satellite imagery from the 1918 with in comparison with other uh, photos from 2021. And you can see that the city's topography has shaped uh, the, the growth of the city as people started to climb up the mountains and go from around the downtown and the Sail Amman to the seven hills around that area. Uh, the photo to the right shows you the, uh, in, in a very general photo of Amman, you can see also the layers and you can trace the layers through the materials. So going from archaeological materials to mud to cement, stone, and then to the modern materials uh, used in some projects. Uh, so in our project, we wanted to uh, highlight and focus on the protection of those heritage houses as the focus in Jordan is mainly due to the heavy uh, duties on the official institutions. The focus is on the archeological remains. So that's why uh, you feel that uh, those houses are threatened by neglect, by development, by uh, misuse, by, by many types of threats. So we wanted to highlight and focus on uh, the protection and documentation of these houses. And we took a sample uh, of the houses in Jabal Amman and Jabal Wadi from the 1930s to the 1960s to look at uh, how they are protected, to document them, and use the EMINA methodology and database to document these houses. We had a target at the start of our project, which was supported by the uh, Global Heritage Fund as uh, EMINA trainees at the first uh, phase of the training. And uh, we had a target to document uh, and record from 75 to 100 houses on the EMINA database, include, uh, to include uh, the location information, the historical data, disturbances, threats, condition assessment, and link them to the other resources such as photos and map, etc. Uh, of course, this is just a sample of, uh, of the houses, because uh, according to the numbers published by the Greater Amman Municipality, we have more than 1,500 houses, heritage houses in Amman, in Amman only. So uh, we have only looked at a small, uh, small number as a start of the comprehensive record that will be on the Amina database. So uh, to start, we started to look at the written and published resources on the Amman heritage houses, the first houses of Amman, uh, the publications of the Greater Amman Municipality, and all of them included information about the significant and like most uh, attractions or heritage houses or that has values uh, to, to look at and to document. We have, as I mentioned, we have looked at the written resources of course, uh, looking at the satellite imagery only, the EMINA database like has the satellite imagery as a start of the recording. But for us, we had to support it with uh, on the ground visits in a, in a like in a more sense than other than archaeological sites, because um, sometimes they only appear as rectangulars or um, squares on the satellite imagery. So we had to go and walk around Jabal Amman and Jabal Wadeh, meet the people there, talk to the associations around that area to uh, get a better sense of where are we and the stories of these places. Uh, we had also to make some in-person interviews and uh, the, the social media was a great resource for us. So the photos to the left shows you the school students at Bilal bin Rabah school, which is now renovated as a, um, a cultural institution. 
And also you can see the, the different photos uh, like from the 1984. So this is from the people uh, personal archives. Uh, we managed to do this by having uh, by creating a Facebook page named Amman Heritage Houses. It's still yani, active, but uh, you can like us and <laughs> we will get back to being active inshallah again. Uh, and it highlights uh, some significant uh, publications, some significant photos. So it's interesting to look at. As I mentioned, we have managed to record uh, almost 100 houses on the EMINA uh, database. Uh, when you click on any of these resources, you get the condition assessment, threat assessment, and the information, the resources that relate to that house and uh, that story. And the borders are our study area, Jabal Amman, Jabal Wid. Just to give you a very brief example, for example, this is Khirfan uh, Street in Jabal Amman. Uh, so you can see in the same street, uh, house for culture and uh, heritage. It has been adaptively reused to become a cultural house. So it's well maintained, it's adapt, you know, it's well protected. And next to that house, you can see some other examples of very nice architecture and uh, architectural elements that are not used in uh, Amman modern architecture now. So you can see that some redesign is happening. Uh, and some neglect is happening as well. Uh, this is due also to sometimes the low renting rates for foreign workers. So maybe they don't understand the values of these houses for us or for our culture. So that causes also a fast deterioration and um, no protection for these houses. Uh, as I mentioned, the satellite imagery and the written resources were a start for us, but not the data resources uh, for us, because uh, we had to go around to explore, to meet people. And uh, we went to visits with associations, like in the photo here on the top. Uh, we have also, we wanted to involve architecture students and the university students. So we went to field visits with them and we also, um, asked them uh, to, to, to start to draft for us some sketches and plans for some of the houses, just to let them know and understand how the spaces were uh, uh, how the spaces were used in the past and uh, the, the design options that are not uh, available now. So uh, this is a very brief uh, uh, introduction about our project. And uh, we will give you other resources if you want to, to know more information about the project uh, in the future. But just to address the general issues that were addressed in the paper that relate to the AMINA database. So the first struggle that we had was the data collection in our project because the, the methods of the data collection were very different and varied in post-1750 heritage than the pre-1750. And we think that this should be highlighted in the database. Uh, because uh, some only aspects can in, can be entered, but you know, it, it would be very interesting to have more uh, data resources uh, like highlighted. The location information, uh, for example, for a heritage for a heritage house, you want to know what is the architectural uh, architectural typology. You want to know um, the number of floors, the surrounding open spaces. Those issues, if if they were if we were able to enter them in the database, it would be very uh, important for the architectural value assessment of the house. Also, the cultural period. So. Uh, they are mostly from the 1920s and uh, upwards. So um, 
like when you look at the archaeological database in general, it takes you to the to the very past. <laughs> so maybe if we can just choose uh, the location and, and or the area and start uh, from the, for the cultural periods from there, it might be easier for for us as geomatics engineers or historians or architects or uh, not archaeologists maybe. Uh, so just to conclude, we have managed to highlight the strengths of the EMINA database, and it would be very helpful for architects and for anyone who wants to study uh, those houses in terms of the tangible or the intangible value values to look at uh, the EMINA database as a start or a resource to know where to where to where to do their research or where to find those houses. Um, but we have also managed to find or to assess uh, its use from our perspective to, to protect or to look at document and post-1750 uh, heritage. And uh, uh, I would just want to highlight that um, all the discussions in the papers were also discussed with the uh, team, like Letty and Pascal and Michael, and they have helped us very much to develop the discussion and to, to know what is going on in the database, the, the second version of the database and the third version. So that was very helpful for us in, in developing our research uh, capabilities. Uh, just this is uh, this is my presentation for today. And if you want more information about our project, you can find the research paper on the link. Um, our colleague also, Dana Salamin, participated in ASUR last year. So the YouTube lecture is also available. So you can find more information about it on, the, on YouTube. And uh, the Facebook page also would be very great to have you there. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you, Shada. That was fantastic. Um, and I'm just going to use Chairman's privilege for a minute to ask two questions. What was the population of a man in the 1920s when these houses were being built? So the population was uh, from 3,000 to 4,000, and now it exceeds 4 million, 4.5 million. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I mean, it, it, that's amazing because, you know, four to 5,000 people, a man must have been fantastic. Four to Maybe 5 million. Traffic. Yeah, don't. Um, and then my other question, I know we're going to have discussion later, but uh, just while I remembered, what was the reaction of the people you talked to who were either living in the houses or, or who owned the houses when you and Dana Rudena turned up and said you wanted to study their house? How, you know, generally, what was the reaction? So for people who uh, we had some connection with, now personally, we know them, it was easy for, for us to go there and to talk to them. But there is a lack of trust. And we have discussed this maybe uh, before with the, in the Agadir conference when we have presented our, uh, our project. And we mentioned that it was very difficult because there was a lack of trust between the people and the government or the, let's say the projects in general, because they have high expectations and uh, we are not going to provide this, to provide them with any economical opportunities or something. Um, and that was a little bit difficult for us, but for people who we, who we had some personal connections, it was easier. Yeah. And I mean, that's really interesting because it, it, it's almost the same the world over. Um, owners of cultural heritage want to know what's in it for them in terms of the economics. And, and some then are converted and think it's very interesting, but yeah, thank you. That was really interesting. Um,
بس انا كانت تبدوس ماي سون محمد جرادات ديبارتمنت دايركتور اوف انتيكويتس ان والله اند اي هاف انجيج وذ ذا داتا بيس I participated for three times in a training course in Oman. So my lecture is about the impact of infrastructure and urban expansion in archaeological sites in Gaza Strip. It's a case study. I think it's a different case also. Uh, I hope my presentation is contributing to highlight of, uh, some recent archaeological sites in Gaza Strip. As you know, Gaza Strip is uh, a maritime uh, Mediterranean Sea. Uh, there are more than 80 major archaeological sites and uh, uh, 140 archaeological features, consisting uh, of tombs, mosques, and chairs. Uh, and in Gaza, there is 42 uh, inhabited locations. Like uh, towns, villages, or uh, and refugees camps. So uh, the, the the main uh, what is the main value, which an uh, important archaeological sites, like the ancient archaeological sites located south of Wadi uh, called Torish uh, Vena. It's uh, dated back to Kaiqulific sites and. Uh, also, Tell Your June and uh, Tell the Second or Tell Your Teen. It's dated uh, uh, back to early uh, bronze. Uh, we, we can work the same uh, threads in uh, West Bank also, but why Gaza? Yeah, I, when I say Gaza is different, years, it means a great change occurred in Gaza in 1948. The large migration. Uh, to it due to the war in 1948. Uh, Gaza is a small area in size, approximately 370 kilometers in square. Uh, there is in, uh, a huge increase in the number of population. There are more than 2 million people living in Gaza. The continuous growing of the population lead to infrastructure works and more urban expansion. Uh, also, absence of the of an effective rule for institutions represent of antiquities and cultural heritage. The siege of the Gaza Strip since 2007 and the current political situation. A highlight on the reality of antiquities in the Gaza Strip. Our data sources, uh, the main sources uh, is the survey and excavations were conducted in Gaza Strip by like Western Palestine. Western Palestine is the first realistic survey. And survey of Palestine uh, from 1927 to uh, 1944. And there is the last archaeological survey, uh, aerial photography maps, uh, global earth, Emina database. The main threats in Gaza is urban expansion, Infrastructure, cultural, wars and conflicts, looting, also climate change. Uh, if we look into the uh, general view of Gaza, uh, to the image maps, uh, we can see from 1985 to 2002, we can see the 
change of the landscape. So more buildings, more infrastructure. It's the outlet uh, of Syria of Western Palestine from 1870 to 1877 till 1944. It's the main archaeological sites in uh, Gaza Strip. Uh, it's documented by the uh, Syrian Western Palestine. It's the outlet of Emina database. When we look to the uh, map, the image map, we can see most of the archaeological site uh, completely destroyed or virtually destroyed. There are some examples. It's an uh, outlet of monitoring of aerial photography maps in 2022. We can see the uh, archaeological sites or the, some examples of main archaeological sites uh, and the impact of the uh, urban expansion and infrastructure. So one of the strong examples is Tel Second. Tel Second is the main archaeological site in early Bronze Age. We can see the bulldozer removed the remains of the site. Also, Ard is the uh, the site is um, uh, central cemetery in Roman period. Uh, there is some excavations uh, carried out by uh, French expedition in uh, 2021. 2021. Uh, uh, so we can see uh, the, also the uh, urban expansion, uh, expansion became the, close to the site. This is the site on the map uh, before excavations. Also, it's the Gaza ancient harbor. It's the main harbor dated back to the Hellenistic and Roman period. It's one of the main harbor uh, in the Levant. Uh, we can see also the uh, urban expansion is close to the site. Tal Um Amr. Tal Um Amr is a monistic devotional uh, centers in the Levant. The site is uh, uncovered by the joint excavations with the French expedition. Uh, uh, our recommendations to, uh, so we should be monitoring the status of archaeology sites through of monitoring trees to archaeological sites through the EMEA project consolidation and uh, gets that literary platform. Thank you, Mohammed. And uh, it, it strikes me that um, Gaza must be one of the most difficult places to work archaeologically anywhere in the world. Um, you said 300, 370 square kilometers and 2 million people and a maritime zone. And then you've, you've probably described every threat uh, that, is, that is causing the destruction. And so I've got a, just a question, if I can, using Chairman's prerogative. Um, what are the laws? that govern the protection of archaeological sites and the cultural heritage in Gaza. So, you know, the, you showed a slide of Teles Sakan where there was a bulldozer, presumably bulldozing for houses or whatever. Is that not a protected site? And is there anything the authorities can do to prevent it? So, uh, yes, you know the political situation in Gaza. 
the current uh, authority in Gaza, you know, it's not the Palestinian authority. So uh, the laws in the West Bank, it's not carried out in Gaza. For Gaza, you can still use the, the Egyptian law that was issued in uh, 1927, as you think around this. Uh, and they tell now they didn't use the new law that we uh, used in West Bank that was, we have it in Well, th thank you very much, everybody, for, for, for those presentations. That very, very interesting. And I think I should emphasize again what one of the things that uh, Letty mentioned. This isn't a, a retrospective of that Bania session in 2018. Things have moved on. The papers in the special issue have moved on. And of course, um, the, the work both in Jordan and Palestine is new uh, from 2018. So we're very much uh, part of this uh, theme of the, today, of looking at future directions. Uh, and that is really what I want to focus on. Um, although I should mention a couple of things. What, one is that uh, we're not alone in looking at digital archaeology. I mean, there was the, at the same time as some of this work was going on, the Newton funded uh, Mardi project was happening um, with our engagement and CBRL's engagement, but led by uh, Fadi Balawi from, uh, at that point with his Hashemite University hat on uh, and the University College London. So we're not alone, and I think digital information is increasingly becoming part of our everyday lives. The other thing I should say is that it does move on. It's, and Bob, Bob kindly mentioned that I've taken over as director, but that's not the only staff changes we've seen. Things seem to be in constant movement. Pascal Flohr, who was part of the editorial teams now at Kiel University in Germany, and Letty has recently been appointed to a post at Leiden University. So everybody's moving and we're always in a state of flux, which, which uh, I think is quite important when we talk about the sustainability of these data sources, um, because it does mean that you're not relying on individuals' memory and so on. We have to have the institutional uh, development to cover this. And the project does continue um, looking very much in the future towards how to make things sustainable. Um, we've heard quite a lot of what's been going on with the localization of databases in each of the countries of the Levant. And that's um, a big drive for us, um, partly because having a local database is one of the best ways we can see of them being sustainable when they're looked after by the government agencies responsible rather than a, a university project. Um, 
but it's also important to us in terms of data sovereignty, which was one of the issues that the Maori project raised. Whose data is this? Uh, and, I, and we think it's important that the, the heritage agencies of the different countries are also owning their data, and it's not all sitting on some uh, server in Oxford or on, on the commercial cloud. Um, but uh, that's, that's, that's something we can, we can maybe talk about. We do think cloud storage is, is vital for all of these databases where possible. Um, it, it can be useful to have a local server, but if, you, if the databases can all be kept on the, on, on the cloud, it does help guarantee that no real disaster happens to them as a backup. And fortunately, there's increasing um, government initiatives in the different countries to have uh, national cloud, cloud resources, which I think is a very helpful um, way forward. The other thing we're trying to do at the moment to build up on, on the independence and sustainability of these databases is to do a lot of IT training, um, looking at uh, the management of the databases rather than the archeological input to them. And that's become quite a big focus for us. And, and we're very pleased to know that at the moment, um, the Cultural Protection Fund has, is continuing with another uh, three year round of funding. So we're in the process of putting together a package for that, which includes uh, a, a large component for continuing to work with these national databases uh, and each of the government agencies in the three countries uh, concerned, and hopefully adding some more as well in, 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 into the group. And that, that group is quite an important thing. We hope there'll be an element of mutual support, but also the whole nature of the Arches database is changing. One of the things we hope to have done is to get everybody onto an Arches 7 database. I think when the training started, it was based on Arches version 3, so you can see how fast this moves. Mega Jordan, of course, is on a sort of a pre-Arches database. So we've got our work cut out for us. Arches 7 will be released in August this year. Uh, and the great thing I think for everybody involved here is it will be an internationalized and we'll have an Arabic capability. So it will be fully uh, multilingual, not just Arabic, many different languages, but Arabic is, is, is one of them. So it'll be very helpful. Um, but you can see our, our work will be cut out uh, in, in doing this. And we're very grateful that the, the Getty Institute are still offering to help, uh, particularly with the, the Mega Jordan upgrade, which is the biggest biggest one, but we'll be working closely with them uh, on, on the whole process. So that hopefully by the end of the year, and I, I say hopefully because you never know with IT developments, everybody will be uh, together, including ourselves, running on version seven uh, and able, able to work in a, in a multilingual capacity. Um, that said, another big change that's happening um, as we go forward is that the Getty are going to step back um, they think they've been running the show single-handedly with, with the, the database uh, for a long time now. And while they don't want to lose contact with it, and they want to continue being involved. They're, they're looking at broadening the pool of people who actually are, are, are involved in, in, in its management. And at the moment, um, I know that our main sponsors, the Arcadia Fund, are going to be one of the people sitting on that table. So we hope that we'll be able to, as was raised in the talk on, on um, the, the, the historic houses will be able to exert more influence on, on how things are developing and so on, so that we can, we can uh, make arches better fit some of the data we need to put into it. Uh, and indeed, you know, because it's an open group uh, it, that work together, I hope that people from the different uh, database users will come together more. And, and the arches 
family of databases that's supported by Arcadia has grown enormously over the last few years. So there's now pretty much all of the world uh, covered by projects, uh, not just in the UK, but in, in, in universities around Europe and even in the Far East, uh, developing Arches databases for, for, for global coverage. And that community is part of what drives the development pattern. So the good news is it includes um, uh, heritage architecture uh, uh, and so on amongst those projects, which again, I think should be, should be very helpful for, for our own development of, of, of the database. And I, I, I very much hope that the, that the different state databases, the national databases, will become part of that family and be able to engage in that. Sustainability, as I said, it, it's, it's, it's one of our big issues. And I've mentioned it in terms of storage on the cloud, in terms of the national databases, but it also covers ourselves as well. We're, we're, we're concerned about what happens uh, one day when the project finally ends, and we don't know when that will be, but it's a university research project. So it will at one point in the future come to an end. And we have uh, promised the, the funders that we will keep the database running. And we're now very pleased to have just recently received uh, en enough uh, uh, financial backing from various people, including the CPF fund and the American Friends of Oxford uh, ha have donated enough money now for us to set up an endowment fund that will uh, allow the database to be kept going, uh, if, if not quite in perpetuity, at least for the, for the foreseeable future, while it's still a usable tool. Finally, because I don't want to take up too much time and I want to let you get on to asking questions of the, the people who have presented their very interesting projects. One of the topics of today is, is research. Um, and it's uh, always one of these things, heritage management and archeological research. And they're not two separate things, they fit together. You can't do heritage management without archeological research. And indeed heritage management is important to, to, to archeological research uh, so that we don't lose the things that we're try, trying to investigate. But one of the big changes that, 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 that's coming, particularly with CPF, but in general with a lot of the funding agencies, is one of the things that, that, that was touched on, particularly in the Gaza Strip, which is the, the sea level change uh, that's coming in with, with climate change. And climate change is becoming one of the biggest, if it's not already, the biggest causes of damage to archaeological sites, whether that's coastal archaeology or indeed, and this concerns Jordan more obviously, uh, changes in rainfall patterns, um, which can both produce uh, too much rain at a time and, and cause ca catastrophic flooding, but also changes in, in, in um, agriculture and so on to adapt to uh, changes in rainfall pattern. Changes as more people move into urban areas and urbanization expands because the, the ways of life on, on traditional farming are no longer viable and so on. So rainfall changes is, is, is another major feature and we hope we'll be investigating uh, both the, the extent of uh, damage from uh, climate change, mitigation measures, but also, and I think this is one of the interesting things and why I mentioned it under the heading of research, it's an issue that's affected us throughout time. Climate change isn't a new thing. This is human-induced climate change may be a new thing, but climate change has always been with us. Um, we don't live in a static uh, in, environment at all. So this, this links us into many of the changes we see in the past where agriculture can be practiced at different points, how the settlement pattern works. And it's ideally suited to the remote sensing type of work that we do in the EMINA project. It's ideally suited to the big data format that we're, that we're working in, where we can look at entire landscapes and how they're changing over time. And I think that's a, a really important direction that we're moving into. And I think that that chronological dimension sometimes gets, gets forgotten is that we don't look at a static resource 
Uh, it's changed enormously over time and it continues to change and society changes. So climate change also affects the intangible heritage, the traditional ways of life, particularly perhaps rural ones. So we'll, we'll be expanding our own range of interests, uh, I, I think, to be able to address this, looking how current ways of life are both impacted and how they impact on, on the heritage sites themselves as people have to adapt their ways of life in the face of climate change. Thank you. And, and just to pick up on that last point, because I was making notes throughout the presentations and thank you everybody for that. And in terms of the Amina project and also these digital data repositories, there are now, as, you've, as Letty said, and showed the distribution of the records that are in the Amina database, but there's also the Maria database. Um, it will be interesting to hear what people have got in comments they've got on how the, 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 those data, data being plural, can be used for archaeological research purposes. Because looking at the change Bill was talking about, it's happened over tens of thousands of years. And yes, we now are going to be living in, a, in an environment that's either going to be too hot or too cold, either too wet or too dry, and certainly too windy at most things, all of which have an impact on the cultural heritage. But the question is, can, can there be research projects developed by universities based on the Amina database? I'd always hoped there would be, um, just as we did when we were doing the National Mapping Programme for England, which, which did eventually end up with, a, with a, um, the Englade project, which Letty was involved with. I would hope that that might be possible. It may take time because it requires uh, PhDs. And, you know, um, there's Gonzalo Linares who's been working on Mauritania using satellite imagery. Um, so you could do uh, region-wide searches on a number of, as Tom, I mentioned, not, a, not every record, but 